We're back. It's the TX Water Polo Podcast. I'm James Smith in Austin, and uh, Joe Linehan is in San Antonio this week, right? I'm in San Antonio, yes. I'm at my kitchen um, counter uh, because ugh, AT&T's router decided to just die the other night, and then I installed a new one yesterday, and it doesn't work in my office. So, And I'm sure it has nothing to do with your five-foot-thick concrete walls or whatever no it's it's that's the point it's like it's all cabled right and so you would think that those things that are connected by ethernet would work but they don't and the technician last night said oh yeah your uh your line is failing like i don't really know what that means but i'm waiting for you to come and fix that because i have all these interviews lined up (sighs) anyway so in the kitchen actually you can even hear it i turned off the ice machine because it made too much uh too much noise in the background all right uh, enough of that nonsense. Uh, it's ODP week. I, Joe just mentioned before we got on and that it's ODP week, which I'd never thought of actually branding it that way, which is, but it is actually true. It's like, this is uh, I can, I know it's ODP week because I'm nervous and anxious and trying to get everything lined up before we go. But we have, uh, the first camp, uh, clinic clinic of the season in round rock this weekend. And, uh, we'll kick are you ready? No, of course not. I mean, I'm never, I'm not even ready when I'm ready. Like I get all worried about stuff. So after this call, I'm literally getting in a truck going up to Round Rock and and uh, shout out to the Cedar Ridge High School uh, water polo team for letting us borrow their cages. So I'm going to go get their cages to borrow for the weekend and then uh, and t- then take them back when we're done. So there's still stuff to do, right? I got to print out all those those waivers and I got to get you know all my volunteers lined up to do temperature checks and monitor COVID and all that. So no, of course I'm not ready. Joe, you're the one who's always ready. I'm not, I'm like, I'm, I'm nervous. Never ready. Yeah. <laughs> there's never enough preparation, but, uh, um, but I mean, it, this is going to be a fun little weekend. I mean, and be, and it starts off on Thursday with the, uh, with our town hall and your parent meeting. So. Yeah. Town hall on Thursday. Uh, this is Joe's idea, by the way, what we, um, typically do at the beginning of a camp and this year we're calling them clinics because they're a little bit smaller but what we typically do is meet with all the parents beforehand um, literally on the pool deck and go talk go over the program and talk about details about what the calendar looks like and so on so this year I was actually thinking about that weeks and weeks ago like what are we going to do like how you know we're not even really allowing spectators I mean we are you know two two per athlete but there could be many more who actually show up. I was like, ah, oh, forget it. Everybody's accustomed to the Zoom stuff. So um, that's when I asked you, Joe, to, to help facilitate because we'll follow up with the specifics of this ODP season by me and, um, and Chris Collin. I'm not sure he, he may or may not participate. And Dean Cantal, who's the national coach, who's uh, coming to town. He's a goalie coach. And then that follows, uh, what follows that is a discussion that's led by you, really, about uh, the program in general, about what it's done for this zone, about what the changes are, and so on. Like, what else? You even have parents lined up to talk about it, right? Yeah, yeah, we have some parents because this will be an opportunity for everybody to kind of find out, kind of, kind of, really what, like, kind of what ODP is, and kind of ask some parents about it, and then the parents can kind of talk to other parents about about their perspective and why they do it, and and kind of, and when's the best time to start, and you know, and kind of how many camps do this. And I mean, it, it'll be a good little back and forth. And I think we're, we just want to create a little bit more work for each of these camps that, that, that ODP is having this year to um, just really 
increase the awareness that ODP is actually happening. Right. And um, that it's a very good positive thing for your athletes to come part of. And I'm going to be interviewing Spencer Dornan here a later in the podcast about the upcoming weekend too. Yeah, that's a good segue because Spencer's under quarantine. I, you know, he was exposed in some way, although he tested negative according to a conversation I had with him yesterday. But he's uh, he's home. And uh, just the other way that COVID is affecting all of this is that I just literally got another email from a family member who said we can't come this weekend because there is an exposure issue. And that uh, I think they said basically if they attend our clinic and then go back to their schools, that the schools will tell them, no, you have to quarantine for 14 days. And they don't want to do that. Under totally understandably. Totally. So everything is different this year, obviously. Um, the good news is that there was such demand that we have a waiting list and we've already filled three spots. It looks like we're going to fill another one. So yeah, it's, it's a uh, Spencer will give you a good, a good update as to how this is actually affecting a program like his and most certainly how it's affecting ODP. Now, um, that's, did you have a waiting list for the boys? Correct. Is the girl quite is still open. Yep. So it's still open. There's still a few slots left. So. Correct. Yeah. It's going to be a great little weekend. So the girls are on Saturday, correct? Yeah, girls Saturday, um, beginning at uh, 1 o'clock. We'll open the doors at 1245 until about 530. Um, and then uh, boys the next morning, 845 till about 130. Um, and again, just a lot of enthusiasm for this because we have been allowed to do full contact scrimmaging. I'm uh, still looking forward to having a practice plan in hand, hopefully by the end of the today to to go over exactly what we're going to do. But uh, I'm I'm excited about it. I'm nervous, obviously, but uh, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. And for those that are listening, the Houston camp in August or in October is still to be determined. Um, and the North Texas camp is that Sunday of Thanksgiving. And once the once the Houston camp is determined. I believe the registration links are going to be all opened up online, but yeah. we're still waiting for that Houston camp to be determined. So. Yeah, the camps in Louisville in November; those registration links are available. I'm not. I'm going to share them via the um, Southwest Zone website, but um, they may might also be available on the USA Water Polos. I know I have them in my uh, email inbox. But Joe, didn't you guarantee that we were going to have a camp in Houston earlier in this conversation? I, I that's what I heard. I heard that it was a done deal. We will see, won't we? I'm looking forward to that. I mean, we have some places in mind, obviously, and we're having discussions with them. I think it's going to happen. Um, and once it does, you know, the, the floodgates are going to open because there's a lot of people from Houston who wanted to come up to, to Round Rock, and uh, it filled up so quickly that they couldn't do it. So we'll have another option, I think. I think we'll have another option. Fair enough, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about um, the, what's going to follow which is the Central Texas Festival. It's actually going to kick off the week following um, in, in Cedar Park, mainly, I would say, right? And uh, so not only have you received an enormous amount of demand, as far as I understand, but, uh, but it's also changed, or, or you have had to adapt COVID rules that apply to, let's say, the pool in Round Rock versus the pool in Cedar Park. And I'm curious about what that's actually going to look like, because it is... This is new territory. It's like you and I talked about this before. It is it's strange but understandable how we're going to have to uh you know manage people at these facilities. Yeah, I mean it's just, you know, we just have to be very we have to be uh very proper and really think about the like the little things and 
you know, and, uh, you know, just be responsible. And, and for this first event that we're going to have, we're going to be overly responsible and we're going to make sure that everything is run very specific. And, you know, before we got on here, you were mentioning like, oh my God, there's just like, like all those, the safety guidelines and procedures are a little bit more detailed than what, than what you would have had, <laughs> right? which which, which we uh, kind of, which is fine, but like, you know, we're going to have a specific area for each team's spectators. There's only two people per athlete. Um, we're going to have a ready area for the teams that are waiting to play the next game. And then, you know, teams are going to then gonna have to kind of transfer all their stuff over to their bench that they're going to use. They're, they're not going to switch at halftime. Um, and then, um, then as soon as the game's over, all the athletes and parents have to leave. And then the next group of parents will then be able to, to come in. Okay. Yeah. So unusual. And no, well, people that are in the ready area can, can come down and warm up. Right, so, right, right, right. So, yeah, I mean, it is all kind of planned out. So the flow kind of works good. And there's going to be no locker rooms. The restrooms are for emergency case only. Um, and uh, what was it? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, there's a lot of things. To, there's a lot of little things that, that, that you don't think about. So. A lot. I had to point out to, uh, and this, this the, the rules somewhat apply to what we're doing this weekend for ODP. And uh, and one of the parents said, um, I noticed that you said that the toilets are not available. And I said, that's right. And uh, there's a gas station right up the road. So uh, Murphy Express, they can, you know, they should thank me for sending people their way so they can go get uh, you know, potato chips well, I mean, and stuff. But if, but if you think about it, the athletes are going to be there for less than two hours. Right. Because they can't get there any earlier than 45 minutes prior to the first game or prior to the game. And then they're going to play the game and then they're going to leave. Yeah. You know, so hopefully they can hold it during that time or <laughs> go in the pool or, oh, no. you know, or, if there's the the or, and then spectators are only going to be there for like an hour. Yeah. So, I mean, so, I mean, yes, it's, is it ideal? No, but you know, this is the, this is the type of stuff that we have to make sure that we do to be responsible because we don't want any big transmission. We don't want to be on the nightly news. No. That says, oh my God, this there's this outbreak that started at this Central Texas Festival. That wouldn't be good for our sport. It would so, not, nor for our but, club. But but we want to try to give everybody an opportunity to play and compete. And and you know it's and we have a ton of people that have kind of that that, that are very excited about playing. We have two teams coming in from California. That's great. We have a we have a team coming in from Miami. We've had a ton of uh, of the local clubs here that that have expressed interest in our entering. So. As you're listening, yeah, yeah, to this, this is our like the um, entry deadline for the teams is Friday, September 25th. So this upcoming Friday, and uh, then we'll get a schedule out kind of next week, you know, for everybody. But you know, we're gonna have probably about about at least four or five 12 and under teams, at least four or five of the, the 14 and under teams, and we're gonna have 10 to 12 18 under boys teams. Right. Demand. And, yeah, and probably, and probably, probably uh, six to eight of the eighteen or girls teams. So there are a ton of people that are, are choosing to participate, which is great. Yeah, and we're going to try to be as responsible and give these and give the people as many opportunities to play and compete as possible. Like there was, um, uh, I've been talking to the referees too about okay, this is what we want to do, and kind of what do you think? And uh, and the referees then did they were out at a club then did some scrimmaging this past weekend and they're like, Oh my God, I don't know if we can do this. So we actually had to put a rule in there that coaches approaching referees. So like during the game, the coaches can only approach the referees after goals, you know, during timeouts and between quarters. Right. The reason, yeah, the reason for that is we don't, because we don't want the coaches to like, they like, they'll normally go and talk to the referee, but then 
the referee's going to be having to deal with the game, their mask, and like you're not you're not supposed to talk to each other kind of without your mask on. So especially if you're not within six feet, so we just want to eliminate that issue. Right. So we're just putting some guidelines. I don't think it's going to be an issue kind of this weekend. I think everybody's just going to be very very happy to be playing. Totally. And, you know, and the coaches, the refs. And so I'm really, really excited. And again, for those that don't know about this event, we have our 1400 and 1200 divisions. We're going to be playing October 3rd and 4th in Cedar Park at the Elizabeth, at the Elizabeth Milbourne pool. And then on October 10th, 11th, it's going to be playing at the Mickey pool in Round Rock. Yeah. With some overflow probably back at the Elizabeth Milbourne pool as well. Oh yeah. On that October 10th, 11th yeah. weekend. Good. They're not too far away, like so from, yeah. from one from another. Um, I, the, all the detailed rules are that we're putting in place are for for the tournament are actually very interesting. But I I also think, I just think people understand. Like we're just trying to share what it is that the risks are, and ninety eight ninety nine percent of the people know what's going on, and so they are you know they're basically saying that it's worth it, and uh, I think it is too. But if they don't, you know, they, if they're not. It, uh, comfortable really with following the rules or with being around other people that's totally fine it's but uh, we just wanted to be able to offer this where you did at least and i'm just going to keep my fingers crossed and hopefully uh, no lightning and good weather no so. lightning i know we've <laughs> yeah that is an issue we we, we don't I, we had practice uh, at the outdoor pool on monday it was raining there was no lightning um so you know, we're accustomed to doing that, except for when it comes to the point where you can actually electrocute your customers. That's not a good idea. Yeah, just the whole, I mean, like, like the lightning, we can't do it. Bad weather, but no lightning, we can still move forward. We can so. do it, yeah. It could be snowing. That would be hilarious. All right. Um, okay, well, we, we've covered a lot of ODP. We're going to actually do a tiny bit more uh, of that as well, but we'll come back and talk about the Tiska meeting and some other interesting stuff. All of TX Water Polo is brought to you advertising free, and we'd like to keep it that way. So we're asking for your help. Show your support by going to txwaterpolo.com forward slash give so we can keep covering the sport we love in the Lone Star State. Hey, this is Max Irving from the U.S. Men's Senior National Team. And to get all things Texas water polo, I'm listening to the TX Water Polo Podcast. It's James and Joe. I'm hanging on by a thread here, like waiting for uh, this 18th guy to come, technician to come. So if we, if we not get knocked out for any moment, which we did about a half an hour ago, then uh, it, you can blame them. But anyway... Um, one of the funny things that emerged in the last week, and it got a lot of publicity, I know that uh, the it got retweeted a whole bunch of times, was the New York Times had a big piece on, uh-oh, I forgot his first name, Jokic from uh, the Denver Nuggets. What's his first name? Uh, Nikola Jokic from uh, the Denver Nuggets. He's the point center. Point so center. He's, he's like an all-NBA player. He's probably, what, in, in, in his mid-20s. He was like the 40th. He was like the 40th second draft pick and he was yeah he was a he was kind of like they didn't know what they got until they got him and, <laughs> and uh was it he's like people have already talked to him i mean i guess he's been playing five or six years now that you know he is the best passing big man in the history of the nba well and let's not bury the lead the connection is that the even the headline said that you know he's basically channeling his serbian roots in water polo to play uh, in the nba 
which is really to say he passes like a a, a goalkeeper in in uh, water polo. He is crazy accurate with his passes, which is really impressive. Um, but what I found funny about the article was, first of all, the New York Times is just looking for some some angle, and uh, and they they came up with this one. They they mention water polo in the New York Times once every nine months, I think, and this is their this is their quota. Um, but more than that, the implication was. So this water polo guy is playing basketball, and boy, he sure looks like it because he looks kind of schlubby and out of shape. And I just thought that's so funny because that's a – I don't know about you. I hear that a lot about uh, international water polo players, especially from – if you're in the swim coach background, then you think, oh, look at those Montenegrins. They look kind of shiny and kind of not super fit, and then they're the best players in the world. Not even quite, not even close, but th- th- that was the implication at least I got from this was that uh, Jokic well, didn't look like an athlete. But, I mean, it's one of those things where he was not really – he wasn't a water polo player growing up. He might right. have gotten in, in the pool and thrown the ball around and stuff like that. But the whole purpose of the article was there's two kind of things that they kind of pointed out where – he looks like a water polo player. Mm-hmm. And one of them is his outlet passes. So like, you know, like, like the center's the big guy and they're going to get a lot of defensive rebounds. And then they make the outlet pass to the guards that are, that are running down the pool or um, kind of running down the court. And, you know, a lot of the, a lot of centers are going to use a two ended pass, um, you know, um, or if they use a oh, kind of one hand, they use their whole body and yeah. throw it or they bounce past it or something like that. And, but here he actually gets the ball up nice and high, kind of like a water polo shooter, kind of like there's the bloody, like the water there is kind of at their collarbone. And he uses core and he snaps that wrist. He makes pinpoint passes that are on a dime. And I mean, and that's kind of, again, very similar to that goalie kind of outlet pass. And then another thing that he does is he's a huge man and he can grip that basketball and, um, with, uh, with one hand. So whenever he is holding the ball, he's almost protecting the ball with his body exactly right. like a water polo player would do, be doing all, all, on the perimeter and such, you know, if he's being guarded. So those are the two main things that they kind of pointed out. And he, and he did admit to his water polo roots a little bit mm-hmm. over time or yeah. like kind of, he's mentioned that before. And, and uh, I mean, again, he never really played formally, but you know, you know, water polo is kind of like the national sport over there in Serbia. So exactly. hopefully basketball doesn't catch it. No, no, I, I agree. The, the writer of the Times article is Scott Cacciola. Um, he's the one who, who uh, brought this all up. And there's a line in here somewhere in this piece that says something like, he may as well be treading water, which meaning exactly what you just said. Like his form when he's making these passes is, is precisely, you know, his feet are in a certain position, his hips are a certain position, he's using his core, flicking the wrist, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's very nice that they noticed this. And the other thing that I noticed was as well that the the writer he spoke to Kieran Wollahan, who's the head coach at uh, at uh, C- sorry at Wagner, right? Yeah, Wagner, um, and then Bora Dimitrov, who's the head coach at St. Francis, and then a couple guys from Denver. So I'm I'm very interested in how the the writer found these people to make comments on it. But it's obviously notable. It's obviously notable that he continued. In fact, there's a tweet that they feature which says. Another water polo pass from Jokic. It wouldn't be a Nuggets game without one. So this is not an uncommon phenomenon. But always good to get a little bit of press for our little crazy sport. Like, here's a, here's a good line from the story. It's like, other players were like, has he ever lifted anything heavier than a spoon? <laughs> I mean, wow. <laughs> like, 
That's I, I find that part funny. I think there's plenty of I mean I'll, I'm a huge NBA fan. There's plenty of NBA <laughs> players that come into the league. They're they're yeah, they're a little doughy or or whatever, and uh, it's just what they are. They still got the little baby fat on them. They haven't gotten to the into the super duper trainers of the NBA and the nutrition and such. Right. So um, I believe that each year he's gotten a little bit more fit and and you know what he's all NBA and he's has his team in the uh, Western Conference Finals. They, and As of this recording, they beat the Lakers last night. So I'm cheering for the Nuggets. Any, uh, My two favorite teams are the Spurs and, uh, and whoever beats the Lakers. Oh, so my God. If you're, you're so lucky that I no longer have – I virtually have zero interest in the NBA anymore, but I grew up yeah, a gigantic Yeah, because Lakers your Warriors fan. aren't – yeah, because your Warriors probably aren't. I'm Warriors, there, Lakers, yeah. Lakers. Magic Johnson's <laughs> the best player of all time. Of all time. He's greatest. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I'm sure LeBron James has something to say about that. I'm sure he does too if I knew who LeBron James was. That's not true. I know who he's is. And this little guy named Michael Jordan. So, but, we'll, but, but let's digress and move on. Michael Jordan picked up everything he knew from Magic Johnson. Everyone knows that. Everyone. Yeah, maybe not you. Um, yeah, next subject. Uh, there was a, the huge Tisca meeting this last weekend. Again, um, you were basically the moderator, right? Because it was an entire Zoom thing yet again. Um, no, for, I was not the moderator. You were not? Okay, so, but you were part of it. I had nothing to do with it. I, I, you sent the link out, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to check in. And then I realized, oh, yeah, it costs money. So I'm not a no, member I of Tisca. Paid, <laughs> I paid my $40 as well. You so. did? All yeah. right. That's fair enough. Um, but you're supposed to do that anyway, right? Like the, if it were in person, there's, you know, they had to forego the typical golf tournament that they usually have, which is super popular from my, from my experience. Um, and then, uh, but you're supposed to pay in order to participate, which is fine. Um, I just forgot. I just completely forgot about how it costs money. So anyway. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was, it was in person. It was great. They had that, they had that typical, they had the annual meeting that's got yeah that's got slay laid out it's kind of kind of will, the plan going forward to get everybody that was on friday ty halford did a little bit of uh this is how you want your program to be structured for the fall of 2021 on friday evening guy baker did a great program on saturday and we'll come back to that here in a second and uh Chris Cullen did a good kind of kind of a beginner's coaching kind of, kind of program on Saturday afternoon. And then then there was another program um, on uh, Sunday about just growing your um, high school swim team uh, via water polo. So, you know, but the Guy Baker thing was great. I mean, I've I've always I mean, I've kind of learned at the foot of Guy Baker for 20 years. So, I mean, I do a lot of things that yeah that he's taught kind of over the years and he kind of talked about his basic kind of this is this is his approach here are his pillars to success as far as water polo concerned but he did do a fun thing about keep away yeah and he just wanted to he presented that just because he wanted to uh, kind of kind of present something that kind of worked for the brand new coach and also for the advanced coach and i think all coaches out there have some form of keep away that they've done right. but he broke it down into three on twos and four on threes and then and yeah and then getting into a you know a one-on-one -on -one plus one to where like you know there's just an offense defense and then uh, and then somebody else kind of with the ball and then they just practice kind of releasing and then you do a two on two plus one and then and then you kind of mix it up and just kind of and kind of keep adding and adapting the drills and then, I mean, 
And then he even goes into some different scrimmage opportunities where you can have a four on four scrimmage up and on the pool, but you also have, you know, some people on the sides that act as, Hey, if you're in trouble, you can always pass to somebody. <laughs> there, yeah, there's somebody always open and then just keeps people moving and active. Interesting. Um, so there, so there were some very good variations and he even had some things for the six on five crew, which is essentially a form of keep away anyway. Right, exactly. And and then he also had some good, yes, yeah, yeah, some good center offense in, yeah, in, in center defensive skills. So it was very kind of, kind of interesting. So thank you to Guy Baker for doing that. He came. He came all the way in via Zoom from Long <laughs> um, uh, It's actually good that you went over details because obviously, you know, he has a lot to say. He's had a, a, an enormous amount of success, but uh, it's cool that you get into the weeds about like this is what you can actually do in the pool to take advantage of uh, you know these these kinds of situations. And obviously, there's uh, like you said, most teams have some version of keep away. Um, what's the one we do? Survivor, I think. And uh, so it's in- interesting to to hear uh, an accomplished coach like him go over more detail about how that can be expanded. So I'm, oh, that's very good. I'm glad he did that. And, and if and if you want more detail, just email me, and I will be happy to share the details with you. Is the meeting recorded and available? I don't even know. Um, it was because of the forty dollars. It's behind a paywall. Okay. Um, and it's viewable for I think forty eight hours after the meeting. Or if you paid the premium, then you can kind of watch it anytime you want. Okay. But okay. I did not pay the premium. Okay. Uh, there was also uh, was there any news for, out of the referee camp because that's part of the whole Tiska process as well. Well, there's no news this past weekend, but um, I do believe that the UIL um, has approved uh tasso wow. to be the referee kind of kind of organization for fall 2021 um and obviously t- the tisco waterfall board had previously approved uh tasso to be their kind of kind of organization beginning in spring of 2021 so that's huge news there so now that process is going to get started to um have you know um to get the ball rolling as far as uh is getting organized for this upcoming spring mm-hmm. And the beautiful part about this spring is it's going to give Tasso and all the referees and all and all the referee leaders an opportunity to go through this spring, and it's almost like a dry run for yeah, next fall. Absolutely. So, and I mean, there was I mean, this is a different organization than um, the old organization, but that's okay. I think probably nine out of ten referees are still going to are going to referee. I don't think I think most of them don't care what the referee kind of kind of organization is. I don't. Um, but the but Tasso is going to bring it's and for those that don't know Tasso is the Texas Association of Sports Officials. Uh, there are there there are seven total team sports in the UIL, including water polo. Tasso now does all seven. It does. And there we're there's going to be a Tasso water polo division created, and they are they're the ones that do all the sports and they have 15,000 referees and it's a professional organization. That's going to bring a lot of um, structure. It's going to bring a lot of new uh, referees from other sports to our sport. Cause as we all know, we need more referees. So um, it's, and it's going to be, it's going to be, it's, there's going to be accountability there. There. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of a, of training and education and testing and it's going to be very very good for everybody involved so i'm really looking forward to that they have a a robust recruiting culture already to find new referees and that's at least that's my understanding and and that may be one of the most important parts of this is uh first of all it lends the sport yet more legitimacy and it's not to say that uh, another body of referees would not but there's just something about being part of a larger high school 
association that is that parallels what's going on with UIL. Like the moment it has the UIL stamp, it's like, oh, this is a real sport. And then this is just another sign of that happening as this sort of the the increased professionalization and making them part of the larger landscape of high school sports. I think it's fantastic. So I'm looking forward that to that as well. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. But now, but now the hard work starts, right? So I know. Well, just you detailing like there's going to be tests, there's going to be rules, there's going to be education, and so on. I'm like, oh man, I don't know. Maybe I won't want a referee, but uh, I I think I will. I think you you've already scolded me that I got to be on the on the roster of referees. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Um, okay, uh, just we spoke earlier about the way that COVID is affecting uh, ODP in particular. And one of the coaches uh, on the staff is uh, Spencer Dorn. And Spencer is a guy in some ways who does not get enough publicity in this state, in this, in this sense. I think everybody, generally speaking, knows that he's you know, a very, very qualified coach. It's the reason I hired him immediately upon uh, getting the, the head coaching job myself. This guy played on the national team. Like he was an all-American at Cal. He played on the national team. He was, uh, you know, he has these great anecdotes about playing internationally. It's super fun. And we'll go over a lot of that stuff here in the next segment. Yeah, you're gonna have time to because he's been quarantined. He's stuck in his. Uh, I think he has a, a, a an office somewhere off the house. But anyway, he, I think he, we're gonna focus on the ODP and his experiences, kind of in the national team. So, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to get into the family politics of this. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Moving, Moving on. on. All right, uh, we'll come back in with Joe conversation with Spencer. Hey, this is Mark Lawrence from Austin College, head coach of the men's and women's Warflow programs and home of our kangaroos. When I'm interested in uh, what's going on with Texas Warflow, I always listen to TX Warflow podcast. Today, we're talking with Spencer Dornan of Pegasus Waterpolo Academy. Um, Spencer came here and moved to Texas in 2013. He's coached He's built Pegasus into one of the best clubs out, like kind of outside of California. He also helps coach with the St. Mark's team up in up in North Texas. But before that, he played at Cal through 2001, and also was on the men's national team through 2004 and 2005, and has coached everywhere. Spencer, kind of, um, kind of, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Good. So, has it been a hectic summer here? A little bit with practice, family, everything. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been, it's been hectic. We've been one of the lucky clubs that have been able to practice since June consistently. So that's been great. It's been a little challenging because uh, we've been limited to the number of athletes per, uh, per practice, which means we've been running six groups and six different practices throughout the day, uh, seven days a week. So it's been, it's been great that our athletes have been getting in the water. I mean, that is awesome that you're getting to play. Just everybody has a different story. Every club. It's either they practice too little um, or they have issues going on. So, but we, we won't get into all that today. We're here to talk about the ODP program here. Now, obviously, you wear a lot of different hats. And one of the South was on um, kind of head boys youth coach yeah, for ODP. Um, and the first training camp is this weekend. Are, like, I know you're not going to be going down there and coach, but are you excited about getting it started? Yeah, I mean, it's always a fun time of year. It's always good to see the athletes that, you know, I've, having done it for a number of years now, um, you get to know the kids, and it's fun to see all the different kids in the different areas and how they've progressed. And, um, it's always an exciting time. Yeah, so, and this weekend is a little special down in Round Rock where contact is going to be allowed. So I'm sure there's going to be a ton of kids that have not had contact and are going to play for the first time. It's going to be interesting. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, uh, you know, my two hats, you know, here are, are as from a coaching perspective, you know, it's been, it's been, it's been a little frustrating, you know, we're limited to what we can do with no contact and the drills that you can do and it, you know, things can get stale. So trying to, trying to, you know, um, create interesting new, uh, games and drills that they can do, um, has been challenging and to allow full contact. That's going to be exciting for the kids that do it. Um, from a parent side, it's a little concerning, but you know, I don't know if that's just because there's so many things that we haven't done in so long. And, and it just, the fact of doing something for the first time, that's been off limits since March, March. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's just it's just about kind of doing it the right way, and kind of taking out the yeah, and taking those baby steps forward. And it's just you know I think we're all being uh, I think we're all getting pulled in both directions. We want to go do it, but we also have that we want to be responsible. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And then um, I mean, so in your estimation, why should an athlete do the Southwest Zone Olympic Development Program? I mean, gosh, there's a lot of lot of different reasons. Um, you know, I think. You know, some of the some of the things is to get kids it's higher level of play. You know, usually the best players from around the state all come together. Um, so that really raises the bar. Um, you get to meet new new coaches uh, that may have a different perspective on what you're doing, as well as you get you know high level national team coaches coming to your practices. So um, I think that's you know really valuable. Um, in addition, you know the athletes get to know each other. Um, from a parent perspective, parents get to know each other as well. Um, so I think that's, that's a lot, uh, some of the, some of the benefits, um, you know, and if you're lucky enough to be selected to one of the teams, uh, it's, and go out to these championships, um, you know, it, you know, calling, if you have aspirations to play in college, you know, these college coaches are on pool deck and they're evaluating the athletes and it's a, it's a good opportunity to be seen. So there's, there's plenty no. of opportunity, plenty of reasons to do it. I, I couldn't support more. Yeah. I just, I've always been the big believer of there's five different ways to teach a kid how to play center. Right. So your yeah, your high school coach is going to teach you one way. Your club coach is going to teach you a second way. And then there's might be a third way with the, with the ODP stuff. And it's just, if you learn all three ways, then you're going to become a, a better kind of, kind of more rounded water polo player. You know, the more you learn, the better off it's going to be. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And I also, from from you know, having coached coached the kids on a daily basis, you know, a lot of times we're saying the same thing, but we use different words. And all of a sudden, you're you've been trying to teach a kid for six months, you know, something with with two meters, and you know, one of these national team coaches comes and literally says, tells the kid to do the same thing, but uses different words, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, I got it. And so, <laughs> You know, yeah, I know. It, it happens all the time, all the time, all the time. And like, and like, and like a kid goes out to the, and they, and they come back from a camp or a trip and goes, well, well, you know, the national team coach kind of, kind of said to do this. I go, yeah, we've been doing that for the last five years. Really? Come on. But yeah. Hey, hey, kids are kids. I get it. I, I was probably the same way as a player growing up too. But now talking about kids and such. Now, what would you suggest as the earliest that a kid should be like kind of maybe going out or like the latest that a kid should be trying out. I'm just, I just want to get your perspective as both a club and the ODP coach. I mean, I, I would say as, as early as they can. I mean, the more time we spend in the water, we, we're always limited by pool time, right? And so the more time a kid can get in the water with high level coaches and high level players, 
the more that player is going to develop to their potential. And that's really what we're trying to do is get the most out of each kid's potential and ability. So, I mean, I, I, you know, 11 years old heading out to there, I think most 11 year olds that I've coached, most of them have the, the ability to concentrate for that period of time, you know, and then, you know, all the way through their senior years. I mean, the all-star program uh, has really, you know, at least with some of the kids I've coached, they got, got exposure uh, to some colleges. And, and I know a couple of our kids are, uh, one of them signed at Santa Clara. Um, and another one's getting looked at by UCLA and UC Santa Barbara and Davis. And so, I mean, it's really been eye-opening. And these are the kids that have been doing ODP since they were, you know, 11, 12 years old. So it's, Yeah, it, it's just like the, the, like the one thing in Texas that I've always thought is like, one thing that we don't have that, yeah, that maybe uh, kind of Orange County has is the opportunity to get in, in, in the water, practices, games, and such. So this is like the, like the ODP camps in my mind are just an, another opportunity to get in the water and learn and play, you know, play as much as you possibly can. If anybody, like I talked to somebody kind of earl, earlier this week and they were like, what can my son do to, to get to get better? I go practice and play as much as you possibly can. Just no, go out there. I mean, it's, it's not rocket science here. You know, <laughs> yeah, well, the kids that come to practice are, are going to be the ones that rise to the top. So. Yeah. And I think also ODP provides, you know, the right opportunity with, really qualified coaches that are going to be not only getting in the water in that water time. Yeah, that's important, but they're also getting the right instruction. Yeah. And, and that's very, very valuable. You know, having the, you know, we harp at it all the time at our, at Pegasus, but you know, everything starts with fundamentals. Um, mm -hmm. If you don't have the fundamentals down, it's really hard to move to more advanced scenarios and have success. So. No, and I completely agree. And the good thing about, the ODP is like the people that are doing in the Southwest zone camps or this is the same thing that people are doing in the Midwest zone camps and the Pacific Northwest and this, and the SoCal camps and the NorCal camps. So, I mean, this year we have three different camps. We have the one up this upcoming weekend in Austin. We're going to have one in, uh, in Houston and, and, yeah, and one in North Texas. There's going to be different skills at each camp, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> We, we have a limited amount of time. I mean, it, it is four hours or so. Um, and that may seem like a lot, but it goes fast. And I always feel like, you know, we're doing all this stuff, all these different drills. And then, you know, we have a quick lunch. And then next thing you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, it's, it's time to wrap this up. And, and sometimes, you know, we always try to have different training plans for each um, each site that we do and but even still there's you know uh we don't always get through everything that we want to so um you know and that's because you know we, we really strive for quality and want to make sure that we don't move on without the kids being able to kind of master or at least have a good grasp of the skill that we're trying to teach well how does a, a typical southwest zone odp camp kind of differ from a local practice for like a club and such uh, well, we have more time, first of all. Which um, is always nice. But, uh, you know, I, that's really hard for me to answer, Joe, um, mainly because, you know, I, I can say it probably doesn't differ a lot from, from my, own, uh, my own kids because, you know, we train very similar to the way the ODP does, right? And maybe that there's a lot of that has to do with the fact that I'm the youth coach, right? So I see the value in the ODP plan and um, really focusing on the fundamentals um, and 
and passing and, you know, uh, different defensive movements and center work and shot blocking before we get to the scrimmaging. Uh, the ODP allows for all of that plus game scenario. So, um, but of course, it varies from club to club. Of course, yeah. And um, now the athletes, like, I do believe the camps are kind of focused on you learn new skills and drills and work on your fundamentals, but there's also going to be the aspect of the selection of the Southwest zone um, teams. So how does an athlete make a Southwest zone team and exactly what are the coaches kind of looking for? Um, Well, so there's a variety of different things that we're looking for, right? Um, You know, as we're going through the various uh, drills in the beginning, um, we're checking to see how you move in the water, um, how fast you are, uh, you know, um, have you mastered certain basic fundamentals? Um, I'm a big proponent in how you, how you pass, right? Um, or can you make accurate passes on a consistent basis? Um, then as we move into the shooting, you know, making sure that, you know, you have control of your, your shot. It's not just throwing it wildly. Um, you know, but ultimately, once all that's said and done, that helps narrow the pool. But we really need to see your game sense, right? So once the, the scrimmaging starts, um, we're really kind of going, okay, I, I've kind of identified the athletes that have the fundamentals that I'm looking for, that I think are, are ready to contribute um, at a national event, right? They're not going to be kind of fish out of water. Um, and then it's, can, do they have the game sense, um, to, to, to play at a higher level? Um, or, and, and sometimes it's the case where it's like, wow, this kid's got all this talent, um, and there's so much potential here. Uh, I'll look and say, okay, maybe this person just needs more game time for it to click. So there's a, there's a number of factors, but that's kind of the base criteria. And, um, and then, like, I mean, these camps and the teams, they're, they're the start of the pipeline. So tell us a, a little bit about, like, you know, the West Region Tournament in Utah, all the way, and then the National Championship, the National Team Selection Camp. And then, like, you know, if we have a kid that's at that level to go to the National Team Training stuff. So just, uh, just a little bit about the pipeline. So. Yeah, so obviously um, we make our selections down. Uh, last year we tried to take two teams. Um, to the Utah, uh, obviously we, we start with the ODP camps and we're making evaluations within, uh, within each camp, right? Um, and then that pool will get come down and then as a coaching staff, um, we'll, uh, we will start, you know, discussing the different players on each team. Um, you know, I, at times I'll even call uh, their head coach and say, hey, you know, I've got these three guys. From my opinion, they're they're, they're of similar skill. Um, you know, which one would you recommend? I can only take one of them, or maybe I can take all three. Or so it, it's a really a process of that. And then when we get to the Utah tournament, we don't have an A and a B team. We try to break the team up as evenly as possible, so that um, basically everybody gets an opportunity. Um, to play as much as possible and play in different roles, right? So, um, and then from there, uh, we're constantly evaluating how you how did you perform at Utah, right? Um, at that point, where we have to we have to make a decision again. The coaching staff comes together, 
we discuss what we saw and we pick the team, which we take out to the ODP championships. And from there, uh, you know, we play and, and performance obviously is, is a big part of that, uh, getting selected to, um, you know, uh, NT, NTSCs. Um, and at that point, usually the, the junior national team coach um, or some of the USA uh, staff, they're at our games, they're evaluating our players. And then at times they, they come to the coaching staff and they say, okay, I've got these guys on the list. I think that they can make it to the next level. Did I miss anything? And, you know, generally speaking, they're, I mean, they're, they're usually, I have not had an issue with either any of them ever um, telling me like, Hey, are these, these the top players on the team that we're going to select? I mean, usually they're spot on. So, um, so that's kind of the process. And then from there, uh, it's on to the next level and, and, and really my uh, portion of it is is over and it's the national team coaches for at each you know level whether it's um, development cadet or youth or all-star that yeah. make the next level. And then they go to the selection camp they go to the and then if they get then they get and usually it's at least one player per zone team that gets selected to the national team selection camp and then they're and then they might get selected to the uh, national team training camps but you know that's you know especially at the youth level, you better be legit. Otherwise you're not going to be picked to go to those levels. But, you know, I mean, they have a little bit more athletes at the, at the lower levels, but um, I mean, this is something that you went through, not necessarily ODP because you were a little bit before that, but like zone team processes or the national team selection, because you were on the national team, the men's senior national team back in the early two thousands. And prior to that, I think you went through all like kind of all the different levels. Just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, my, my journey was much different than it is now. Um, I think the process of ODP is so much better. Um, you know, we used to have these, you know, basically, I guess they were kind of like ODP camps, but not as organized. <laughs> <laughs> you would say water pool 30 years ago, so they were 25 uh, years ago, 25 years you know, ago. So when I started in, what was this, 1995, 94? Um, we would go to these big um, camps and, and, and literally they would just like, I don't know how they did it, but they would, they would divide us up into teams and we'd just go at each other, right? <laughs> and, um, and, you know, uh, my process, they ended up doing, um, I think, you know, as my dad uh, tells me, because he was there, um, apparently we were, we were doing a two-meter drill and, you know, I was a skinny 15-year-old kid, and, you know, they throw me in there with the 18-year-old monsters, and, and, uh, and you know, I'm in there, and it's the old goals, they had those plastic, hard plastic backs, and they, you, know, you scored and make this loud sound. <laughs> so they've got this huge guy on me, and I'm, I, apparently I'm just scoring at will on them, and they're hearing the ball smack against the back and the back and the back, and I, I guess – the coaches all kind of looked over. And then from there, I went from kind of the outskirts to kind of pushed over. <laughs> and that was kind of it. And it was like, then I got invited back and, you know, had to continue to perform. And then, you know, by the time I was 16, I was, it was, it was every weekend in, in Huntington Beach or at Golden West Community College, actually. Uh, and then I think um, then we had one big, I guess what it'd be called NCSTs, and it was at Lake Placid. And 
Inland. I remember that. I remember that. Lake Placid, New York, for those that are yes. jealous, I don't know where Lake Placid is. Yeah, it was in the practice facility for the, uh, you know, the ski jumpers where they would land. So there was this gigantic X on the bottom. And so we competed out there. And, um, and then I got selected. I was, got selected to my first national team. I was on the national junior B team. And uh, with uh, actually, still a national team, still a national team. So. Well, on that team was actually Tony Azevedo, Peter Hudnut. Um, we actually all stayed in the same room together. It was really fun. <laughs> so it was, uh, and then from there it was junior team and, and, and on to the senior. So it was, and then and then there was college, and I still remember the the Premier League days. Do you remember the Premier League way back in the day? Yeah, absolutely. We had we had a number of iterations of the Premier League. Yes, changed every year. <laughs> it did change every year. Um, actually, won the Premier League uh, one year. It was uh, it was a good team. It was actually full circle. It was Tony, Peter, and myself all on the same team again. And um, yeah, it was it was. It was uh, and then all of a sudden, we went we went just to your universities. I think at, at one year, yeah. and then uh, then it went to a club style format. Um, and yeah, and I, and I still remember coaching at one of those kind of Premier League tournaments. It was at Los Alamitos, and it was rainy and cold, and the sun and the rain was going sideways, and all weekend. I just that that was just horrible. And we actually had stayed on campus at the Los Alamitos base because I brought a team from the East Coast. So, yep, time ago, long, long time ago. But I mean, you and Tony and Peter, you guys. After 2001, you were also part of that whole Racco Rudish coming in. And um, for those that don't know who Racco Rudish is, he, he was the coach for the Yugoslavian teams back in the 80s and into the, and into the 90s. Um, and then he made his way over and was the men's national team coach here in early 2000s. And let's just say he brought a different mentality and different concept of time to like, you know, USA Water Polo. So just tell us a little bit about uh, uh, kind of Racco. Uh, Ratko. Um, Ratko was legendary. I mean, I, uh, you know, his workouts were, were, were brutal and hard and, um, were mentally, it was mental warfare. Um, you know, it, it's funny, you know, um, I used to dread some of the, the stuff that we'd have to do and, and, you know, but looking back on it, it's, uh, it's interesting, you know, how, how he was really able to form us as a group. I don't think I quite appreciated him as much during the process as, mm. as post-process, but um, I'll never forget my, our first, tra first training with him. Um, it's a, basically a tryout kind of setting, and, and he was still learning English. And um, so he comes up to the team, and he introduces himself, and we're all sitting in the bleachers at Los Alamitos. And he says, okay, so we're going to scrimmage for two hours straight, right? Which is a lot, right? You know, <laughs> up and back and up and back, right? You know, and he's like, and then after that, we're going to do 20 times 200. But don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> and the look on everyone's faces was, was priceless. So uh, needless to say, you know, we finished two hours of scrimmage and we had to do 2200s long course all out for time with 15 seconds rest in between each one. So I think I got to like 
number 16 and I'm dying and I push off the wall and both my hamstrings cramp. (laughs) So I had to do the last, the last four with my hamstrings and my quads just cramping the whole time as I'm just limping. Yeah. Like you can't push off walls, you know? Oh, it was, it it was awful. Um, but I I never forget after that, um, I'm drying off and (laughs) I'm kind of hobbling out and, and Racco comes over and, you know, anytime a coach talks to you, you know, that likes you. So that was exciting. I'm like, okay, out of all the 20 something guys, like he wants to talk to me. So you know, I'm sure he talked to other people that day, but I just never afraid. He came to me and he was, he was Spencer, you must swim more. <laughs> <laughs> what more than what I just did. <laughs> so. Oh yeah. We swam a lot more than that. Uh, so, but, um, so what's here? So what's the longest that you got on the water and then you got out with Ratko? Like five, like four hours, five hours, eight hours? Um, you know, we usually start practice at seven in the morning. We play soccer for an hour. Um, of course. I don't know how long we were in the water, to be honest. I remember the longest day, I think we swam something like 16,000 meters long course in one practice. Um, but yeah, I mean, I remember when he gave us our schedule and, uh, Wolf Wago, who was the captain of that team. I mean, we all were like, I mean, there's like 12 hours of practice every day. And, uh, I mean, he used to joke, and I don't really think he's joking, but he would say, if he gave you one practice off, that was one day off. Right. So we would go, um, you know, we practice, you know, seven in the morning, it wouldn't be uncommon to be driving home at, you know, two or three o'clock in the afternoon. And we had to be back at five for weights again. And, um, and, you know, Dan Clatt tells a funny story about this, but he would, we would do all this stuff. And, and a lot of times he would, he would save the last piece of swimming until the very end. And so we would be scrimmaging or shooting or whatever we were doing. And he'd always go, goggles, goggles. And we had all, all the guys, you know, we had, there was no clocks on pool deck except for the, the swim clock. But everyone knew what time it was, right? Because we'd always kind of figure out, like, where the thing is, the starter practice. Of course. And typically, there would always be, like, 10 minutes. We'd go to 9. We were supposed to finish at 9. 5 to 9 was our last workout. And, uh, and it'd be like 10 minutes left to practice and be like, okay, we're going to do 12 200s. And everyone's like, we're not going to finish that. 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So for all those kids that are about to go to the training this weekend, you only got four hours. You only got four hours. So it's not that big a deal here. So it's, so it's, it's, it's a little bit less strenuous than, you know, um, Spencer Dorn in, in early 2000. So Spencer, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. Kind of, kind of good luck to all all the coaches and athletes uh, uh, this weekend and uh, Spencer, take care. Yeah. Thanks Joe. Appreciate it. That was Joe's conversation with Spencer Dornan, the head coach at Pegasus up in Dallas and uh, also a key member of the ODP staff. Uh, But I think we're all done, right, Joe? Yep. 
nothing else to cover. Okay. Uh, as always, thank you, Joe, for your time. Uh, <laughs> these, these, this podcast has really become a way for you and I to actually just have conversations. And <laughs> the amount of time that we spend not recording it is probably more than we do recording, I think. So this, is, this has been very helpful. Yeah. Yeah, it's not going to help me out. I wish you didn't tell people that, but that's okay. Why? I'm just playing. Uh, uh, Thanks again to Spencer for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you for listening, telling a friend about the TX Water Polo Podcast and the Total Water Polo Podcast, which is coming out later this week, hopefully. Um, And uh, continued thanks to our very generous uh, gifters or gift. Is that the right? I don't know. I got to come up with a good word. It's not donors. Uh, You you are floating this show. So we very much appreciate that. And obviously want to look for more of you to do so. And you can do it at TX xwaterpolo.com forward slash give but until next week so long from Austin This has been a production of TWP Sports, LLC.